0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Product Launch Podcast. As usual, I am the host, Sean Boyce, from Next Step, and today the guest I have with me is Brendan Rice from Wattify, who is their chief marketing officer. Hello, Brendan, how are you, and thanks for being on the show. I'm good. Thanks for having me, and thanks for coming by our office. I have to say, this is one of the coolest offices. Brendan gave me the awesome tour. I'm in the M&M room. Yeah, the common room. rooms the were named after rappers, which is super cool if you haven't got a chance to check out the water office i would highly recommend it they're planning on doing some events uh coming up the space is well equipped to handle it if you get a chance to be here i'd recommend it it's super cool that way so uh as usual as saying thanks for being a guest on the show and if you could for myself and our listeners tell everyone about what what uh let everyone know what what is and tell us a little bit about the story about how it came to be
1: yeah absolutely thanks again for having me so Wattify is a technology company, and we build software products for gym owners, coaches, and their members. Um, Our flagship product is called Wattify Core, and that's a gym management platform used by uh, today, used by about 5,000 gyms in 90 countries around the world. Um, But we've come a long way since we started almost eight years ago um, to where we are today, so I can definitely kind of get into that that founding story.
0: Yeah. I'd love to learn more about that. And that sounds like some serious growth over time. And one thing that I think is really interesting is that you guys have done it all organically so far. Uh, No outside investing thus far. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So we've been bootstrapped since day one, kind of going back to the early days. Our founder and CEO, Meet Shaw, was running a technology consulting company. So we had about a 30 person consulting company that would implement um, big enterprise software solutions and started doing CrossFit on the side. CrossFit, for those of you who aren't familiar with CrossFit, is um, a form of fitness that's usually small group training, smaller gyms, where they're doing a lot of weightlifting, gymnastics, and he got really into CrossFit while he was running this technology business, but like a lot of founders and entrepreneurs, saw a a problem and and an opportunity
0: to create a new technology to deliver a better product in CrossFit gyms. It's excellent, and it's something I recommend a lot as well to, to the people that I work with. Looking to build SaaS businesses is kind of get that industry expertise for yourself, start with the problem, and then work backwards from there, as opposed to pushing solutions. Uh, most that try to push solutions at the market, the vast majority of those software products fail, upwards of 9 out of 10. modifies is obviously the exception there. It sounds like you guys follow the right process. So started, kind of had the technology company, offering some services based on personal experience and having identified problems. Started putting together solutions from there. And then like, it sounds like Wi-Fi well was born out of that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like you said, very literally like personal problems and experiences. So um, going in a CrossFit gym seven or eight years ago, pretty much always looked the same. You'd walk in, there'd be a workout written on a whiteboard that the coach would have just scribbled up. And then you might get handed a notebook and told to record your workout results in that notebook or just keep track of your workout, because in like a month or two, we'll be doing the same thing again, and you need to remember and track your progress over time. Um, And then the last thing would be like, maybe a coach would type a workout into a WordPress website, so it could be up on their website. And so for someone with a technology background, there's a pretty obvious inefficiency there. Um, And so where we started was just solving one problem really well, and that problem was workouts and performance tracking at CrossFit gyms. Um, and being there firsthand and experiencing it gave us the insight into what those actual features needed to be and should be. And, and like literally that gym out in Cherry Hill was our, our first customer, our first client, our first, uh, our, our testing ground, um, for this new technology. And, uh, and it was actually started as a side project. So our, our founder was still running this consulting business, got slow around the holidays, took a few engineers and was like, Hey, let's build this, um, and we went from that first kind of prototype to our first paying customer in about eight weeks. Um, and, and again, we weren't a gym management platform back then we were performance tracking and digital whiteboards for CrossFit gyms. Um, but we, we just really focused on delivering value really quickly and getting it in gym owners' hands and customers' hands and getting their feedback on
0: it. It's awesome. Kind of like lean startup one-on-one I would say. Yeah. Staying very lean, getting aggressive that way really impressive that you guys were able to do so so quickly you mentioned eight weeks that's pretty impressive turnaround time from like problem to testing solution and getting a product in people's hands so you talk a little bit more about that approach that you guys took and that also seems to have uh, persisted as you guys have grown to become more mature and successful you guys are still keeping and maintaining that like lean startup mentality and testing things in that way so i'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about how that's your core philosophy to what you guys do
1: yeah i think part of it stems from being like laser focused on solving problems, not um, not even like necessarily design or perfection, just like how can we really solve this problem? So if you looked at that, uh, that product we delivered eight years ago and we did have paying customers, like it kind of looked like shit, but it <laughs> let people, it, it put the workout on a screen in their gym and it let your athletes record their results. And all the other kind of, uh, fluffy stuff didn't actually matter to our customers because we had we had delivered so much value around how they could save time, how they were providing their athletes with a with a better experience. And what we found was by pushing uh, the product into people's hands sooner than later, it informed like our entire product roadmap. It helped us actually see if we were onto something or not. Um, like it's just there were so many benefits to getting it out sooner than later. Um, like, I would say if you're on the fence about whether or not you should go, you know, get your product in the hands of a customer, um, err on the side of yes, because uh, you'll you'll just learn a ton from that. Um, and the other interesting thing we did early on was take a very hands-on approach to user adoption. So even though we had, like, an objectively better solution, you were going to save time, your members were going to have a better experience, Anytime you're changing behavior, there's a lot of resistance around that. So we were going into CrossFit gyms and saying put screens up on your gym wall and tell your members to use an app and tell your coaches to like go to a screen at the beginning of class. That's like taboo in CrossFit eight years ago. And so early on, we would go to gyms, literally buy TVs, hang them up, drill them into their wall, hang them up and stand there and and train their coaches during class and talk to their coaches and say, hey, here's how you need to use this tool for like a week. And then they would see the value in it and continue using it. If we had just kind of like said, hey, here's what we think you should do. Um, And we carried that through our business for for years. When we, um, and again, when we were starting, we were bootstrapped, so we didn't have a ton of money. Our our revenue was our lifeblood, but we believed in that philosophy of user adoption and, and finding value in our product by using it the right way so much that our contract when you signed up for Wattify had a had an agreement that you had to sign that said i will hang two tv screens in my gym um and you had to send us a picture of those screens or we wouldn't give you login credentials and so literally we would have people saying i want to buy your software but i want to use it kind of like differently and we would turn those customers away we'd essentially say no to potential customers because we knew if we set people up for success, they would, you know, we have customers, we have a lot of customers that joined in 2012 and are still customers today, um, versus churning three months later because we wanted to close a quick sale, get the revenue right away, and, and ultimately if they didn't see the value in it, they're not gonna stick around.
0: So much, showing back there, a lot of value. I wanna take it kind of piece by piece. I'll go back to what you had mentioned is the approach that you guys taking, solving specific problems. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about what Wodify's philosophy is on that, because that's something I dedicate a lot of time to with the product companies that I'm helping, where they're trying to be kind of all things to all people, and they feel like that's the right approach. But they spin their wheels, and it ends up becoming difficult for the customer to even understand who they are and what they're trying to do, because they're trying to do too much. When in reality, right, how decisions actually get made, what people really want is they want simplicity. They don't want overwhelming amount of choice. They want you to solve the most important problem for them and as simply as possible. So if you could just talk a little bit more about like how you ingrain that into your culture, how you make sure that that is paramount and a little bit maybe about how you guys do it. How do you go about identifying these like singular problems and then building the most like simple but elegant solution to that? Love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah. And, and it's funny because we've we've uh, grown on the product side so much now that, that I would say we solve uh, on one hand, you could say we solve a lot of problems, but we're still solving kind of like one problem one at the at same a time. time. But early on, like the, the important thing is to understand what actually matters to your customers and what keeps them up at night. So when I talk about like performance tracking and digital whiteboards and like that's, that's the product we built, the problem we were solving was retention for members at CrossFit gyms. So CrossFit gyms are typically one of the most expensive gym memberships you can buy. And what what kept gym owners up at night and what really mattered to them was how they can keep the members that come to their gym for as long as possible. And what they were missing was a way to engage them, show them proof of their progress and results and give their coaches a way to give a more personalized coaching experience by having the data on how everyone's performance history is and all that. So, so. The features were performance tracking and saving time through digital whiteboards and all that. But when you're talking to a gym owner and why we found success early on was we said, hey, this is a retention tool. And that's what, that's what kind of got them hooked. Um, and then as we grew, we just kept on, you know, staying, keeping the feedback loop between our customers and us really tight and, and seeing what other problems we can solve for them. So the next big inflection point was we had customers who were paying us a couple hundred bucks a month. Using us for performance tracking, and then paying, uh, um, you know, one of our competitors uh, now, but back then wasn't a direct competitor, who did their membership management and class scheduling and billing, another couple couple hundred dollars a month. So they were saying, well, I love this performance tracking, but um, like you gotta help me out here because I can't just pay two subscriptions for this. Can you guys do more of this stuff? And even though early on we had said, you know, we're not going to get in the payment processing game. There's just a whole that's a whole mess. We uh, didn't raise, didn't raise any venture capital. So, so our customers were essentially our shareholders and stakeholders. And so they defined our roadmap. So when we hit an inflection point of people asking for something enough, we would build it and we would follow, you know, we had to keep delivering value and providing more value so that we could grow our customer base for our average uh, revenue per customer. Um, So that's kind of how we evolved from performance tracking into what we do today, which is kind of the backbone of an entire fitness business from billing to membership management to appointments. Performance tracking is now our cheapest
0: optional add-on to our entire product suite. It's incredible. So it's kind of come full circle. Really buying into the philosophy there, recommend similar approaches all the time. One thing I want to specifically mention that you talked about in that response was you, you describing the product in terms of the value add for the customer, which is critical, right? We could geek out like engineers, tech people, whatever, all day about the cool functionality and how it works and all that kind of stuff behind the scenes, but what the customer cares about more than anything is how are you delivering them value where they need it most? And you specifically mentioned that and I think that's critical. So for people listening to the show, I want you to have a similar mindset as that because that's what's really gonna matter to your customer. It's like you said, Brendan, you mentioned it multiple times, what matters most is you're addressing what's top of mind for the customer, what's key, so as you mentioned in your own words, what keeps them up at night, right? That's what they're worrying about now more than anything. They may be worrying about a bunch of other things, but what they're worrying about the most, that's kind of like top problem worth solving. So I like the fact that you specifically mentioned it in the customer's own terms and language, as far as how they're referring to it, right? That retention problem. And more than likely, I'm sure once you guys better understood that problem in one gym, you ended up finding that pattern everywhere else.
1: Yeah. And one way to know if you're actually solving a problem and kind of like on the right track, um, it well for us. So we had no choice, like we had to charge customers. And so there's a huge difference between, um, between people like using or saying they're interested in your product and then paying for something. And that's one of the biggest, like actual validations of, of providing value. So one was, we actually had people who would start paying us for it pretty immediately. Like I said, about eight weeks in. That's good. And the second thing is, can you grow organically fairly well? Like, like you, you're going to need some marketing efforts. You need like a sales process, but if you're having a lot of trouble organically growing early on, there might be something wrong with either product market fit or, or the actual solution you're delivering. And how that played out for us is kind of a cool story. Actually, we, after, um, you know our first uh, first kind of iteration on the product, we got it in some customers' hands, mostly around like Philly and New Jersey. And then we're like, how do we scale this? Um, we identified like the top few influential CrossFit gyms in the country. So there are like some major CrossFit athletes that have gyms that people kind of like look up to. Um, and we would fly to them and say, hey, can we come again? Spend a week here, set up set up Wattify, put screens in your gym, work with your coaches. Uh, we won't charge you for it. And all we ask is if you like it, that you'll uh, tell some people about it. We didn't sign like influencer agreements with them. We didn't set up affiliate partnerships. we are just like, Hey, if you like it, tell people about it. And even to this date, uh, like in Salesforce and our Salesforce, you can see like heat maps of where our customers are based on those gyms and how quickly it spread from there. Um, they were willing to talk about it and we saw new customer acquisition from it. So that kind of organic growth, again, just helped us know we were, we were on the right track and gave us more customers to get feedback from about what other
0: features we needed to add. That's super powerful stuff. And I want to call more specific attention to to a strategy you guys employed super early as well too, because I feel like this is one of the biggest misconceptions in building product businesses is that, I think a lot of people have this understanding that if I build a software business, it's gonna be a set it and forget it thing. I'm gonna solve a problem, it's just gonna sit there like a field of dreams approach and like everyone's gonna find it and use it, and I'm gonna be rich and successful and so on and so forth. Lotify has done a tremendous amount of what I would call high touch services, especially earlier on to gain that momentum because, uh, and I've studied this very intensely, the psychology of like habit forming technology is tricky getting people to change their habits is expensive. It's hard to do, right? We're set in motion in a lot of way in which we do things. So if we need people to change the way they do something, sometimes it requires a lot of handling and they need to be able to get to that value relatively quickly and you mentioned that as well too, where you guys would fly out to the gyms, you'd be at the gyms, you'd set up the TVs, buy the TVs, you'd do that hard work for them so that you remove every objection for them to them getting to value as quickly as possible because that's the objective, right? As soon as they recognize that your product is providing them a certain amount of value, they're gonna get it and it's just gonna click for them. And at that point, the momentum is all in your favor. So that I wanted to draw more specific attention to. I think that's excellent insight from you guys and a great strategy to deploy and obviously it's worked.
1: Well, and it really doesn't change. Again, like some of these things that we were doing early on, we've changed how we do them now at a at more scale, but they, the philosophies there haven't changed. So today we, you know, we have, couple gyms a day that are going live or signing up with us. And we have an onboarding team and a customer support team that we still take a very hands-on approach to like let us help you set up your account and let us check in with you 30 days in to see if we're actually achieving the business goals that you signed up with us to achieve. So um, like our customer success and onboarding and, and even through sales are like, still hold all of those
0: beliefs today. It's awesome. Maintaining that throughout is also critical, right? That get that ingrained in, in the philosophy of how you do things early on. And it will, like you said, as you reach different levels, the strategy may shift, might change. Uh, you may be doing as much high touch services for that with that specific strategy as you start to scale, but the philosophy remains. was successful for you then and continue to be successful in the future. It just has to be updated as you make progress. Uh, another thing I would call more specific attention to that I heard you say as well too, is you reach out to some of these um, earlier customers and as part of your agreement would be you know you need to hang multiple TVs it's like this is part of the deal right And if, in order for this relationship to to work here's what you're going to you're, you're gonna kind of have to meet me halfway kind of a thing yeah and I love that. like that speaks to product positioning to understanding your best fit customers uh, even like product-led growth where you're getting the value as quickly as possible but sometimes you said no right where the conversation didn't move forward in a way you guys knew was kind of required steps in order to have a high probability of success I think that's a unique strategy that's often not used as much as well either so I'd love to hear your thoughts a little bit more kind of about that as far as when you figured out that it was okay to say no to then that some instances it just wasn't going to be a great fit like when did you guys recognize that and you know obviously that's been successful for you is that something you would recommend others follow along as well too and perhaps like at what point in your like history of of building what they're building
1: yeah so it's it's different for every company but for us um you gotta have a certain degree of confidence in what you're building and the and the solution you're providing and so for us we knew that to get the value from our product and our offering you had to use it in a certain way that was so different from how gyms were currently being run that there wasn't really a middle ground and so you you have to know your product and your market well enough to have that confidence to say no, um, I think is the first step um, and really understand like, like for us, it, there, there, you couldn't do this halfway. Like you couldn't have a kiosk and a whiteboard and have some people doing it one way and other people too. So, so we really had to kind of like be rigid and force that, um, force that behavior change. So the confidence to do it is one thing. And the second thing is just um, kind of, having having a little bit of a long term outlook on it, like one see one way I, I see it pan out um, sometimes, especially early on, is software companies developing customizations for bigger clients and kind of that distracting them from their vision or their product roadmap. And sometimes it's the right case, but but in our case and for, for any software company trying to deliver a product at scale, even as tempting as that might be early on, um, kind of believing in your product vision and, and being able to say no even to big clients that are gonna pay you a lot to solve like a custom need of their own. Um, but like where you might find success is when you when you hear from multiple clients or a big client that gives you something that actually does align with your product vision. And so one example for us is like, we don't build custom solutions for big gyms, but we have one of our biggest customers, there's still a client today actually in New Jersey, um early on reached out to us and was like hey if i can't add wait lists to my classes i have to switch to this other they were super nice about it but they were like i need to have wait lists i have full classes we, we didn't even have the concept of waitlist if i can't add wait lists by like next week they literally said by next week i'm switching and our uh founder and engineering team stayed up for like 72 hours and built waitlists and shifted on monday um, but the reason we did that wasn't because that's a big customer and oh my god we can't lose them it's yes wait lists are a a fundamental piece of what we need to build and in line with our product vision let's roll up our sleeves and build it
0: it's awesome i love the i love keeping that like gritty mentality but at above all else what's paramount are the customer needs and another thing you mentioned in that response too was not necessarily building around any one customer right is we don't build around one customer's needs we build around the patterns of customers needs yeah. and that's important too so like maintaining that philosophy which enabled you to be successful before Because this is something that product companies struggle with all the time, right? Do I chase, you know, down all these rabbit holes, all of these customized features and functionality that the customer's looking for? And a lot of those times, the answer is no, unless it's something that's experienced by the majority of your customers, because we're building a product company, right? This has gotta be something that needs to scale. And there will be plenty of opportunity, perhaps, to build those things in the future, but you gotta wait for all the rest of the customers kind of to catch up. Because if you jump on those things right away, that might actually be more of a distraction or make the experience worse for the rest of your customer base that's kind of not there yet. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Um, well, this has been super helpful, super awesome, a lot of value. I really appreciate you awesome. taking the time to share your story. Is there anything else you want to share with us uh, about Wattify or any recommendations for people with product businesses before we kind of jump into the uh, the next questions I have uh, for you?
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing else. The one other thing about Wattify that I think is interesting about our story and and maybe helpful is we we talked a lot about um, our early days uh, and how we got to where we are today being a bootstrapped company. Um, But the ideas of whether it's like lean startup methodology or just kind of acting scrappy and bootstrapped and resourceful can carry through to, I think, much later in in the life cycle of a business than some people uh, kind of think. And so the, the quick story there is... Um, we're almost eight years old now. Just last year, uh, the newest product we launched, we, we literally tested using um, Trey and Airtable, which if you're not familiar, is essentially Google Sheets and Zapier, um, and actually delivered a product to our customers, charged them for it, using this very kind of lean startup MVP approach, um, ended up d- doing quite well. And then you know after we had a couple hundred customers on it, built it into our application, started writing code. And and I think that's a good example of just how you can take these lessons and whether you're trying to start a company uh, in the process of growing a company or at a later stage company, um, you can take some of those lessons and some of that approach uh, into your company
0: today. Definitely. I'm glad you mentioned that as well, too. Uh, We talked about that previously. Whereas, be as lean as you can in the beginning, vet the concept, get that into customers' hands. And then with significant traction, you can always make that technology investment, right? But up front, I've seen that be more of a detriment when people bet big on technology before they truly understand the customer, before they have something in their hands that they're actually using, they're actually paying for. And there's a lot of what ifs, right? So that's the other pieces. What a lot of people don't realize, I think when they're building SaaS businesses, is a lot of the stuff in the beginning is largely a guess, right, until we have more data that says, yes, we've addressed the problem significantly, yes we've offered value to the customer yes they've been willing to pay for this solution and they've also had a good experience making a big bet on custom code and you know a lot of time a lot of money is a huge risk so until then be as scrappy as you can right like address that problem as quickly and as efficiently as you can get that data now you have all, you're a lot more educated as far as whether or not that investment's going to make sense long term yeah super mm-hmm. well uh so very well explained um, so awesome, ton of value. Uh, the, the other two questions I have for you before we wrap up is, what resources would you recommend for other people looking to build and grow uh, product or SaaS businesses? Yeah,
1: so uh, I was actually thinking about this while we were talking, and think I have a new answer. So my the, the resource, it's not a specific resource, but um, what I really recommend for anyone uh, thinking about either starting a SaaS business or just interested in general is like go out in the world and get involved in that market or or get involved in something where you can learn about that like I think it's so much harder to start a successful business in a room like this with a whiteboard than it is you know going back to the Wi-Fi story starting to do CrossFit and actually experiencing that and so there's really no better uh learning experience or foundation of knowledge you're going to build other than going out there and, and getting in you know getting into something and obviously like if you're building depending on the product, it's not as easy necessarily. Like maybe you can't jump right into being an actual customer or user, but there's still probably so many things you can do to learn more about that market. So just like have a super curious mindset, dig into things and and don't be afraid to like get out and get out in the world.
0: Absolutely. Get out there, talk to people, find out what problems they have and focus it around your life. Yeah. What are you interested in? I talked about uh, your CEO and his approach of doing CrossFit and, Personal experience, right? Oftentimes, that ends up being where we pull a lot of inspiration for these things. So, yeah. excellent advice. And last question I had for you is: Who should reach out to you, and how can they get in touch?
1: Yeah. So, um, on that note, uh, if you know any of this sounds interesting, what we're doing at Watify, uh, we are hiring uh, for a lot of roles in our in our Philly office. So, if you're interested in learning more about Wattify or joining our team, jobs.watify.com um, is the place to go. And if anyone wants to reach out to me directly, my email is just brendan at wattify.com.
0: Um, happy, to, happy to chat. And thanks again for having me on. Absolutely, for sure. Can't say enough good things about Wattify and their culture. You have to see this office and all the cool stuff that they offer for the people that work here and do such great work. So uh, definitely check that out if you're interested in joining the team. Awesome. Thanks for being here, brendan Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Product Launch Podcast powered by Next Step. If you or anyone you know is involved in scaling a B2B SaaS business, please have them reach out to me about becoming a potential guest on our show. They can email me at sean at nextstep.io. That's S-E-A-N at nxtste dot this time, we'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show, Next Step Consulting. Would you like to know what the right next steps are for your B2B SaaS business? Are you trying to grow and scale, but you're stuck? We can help. To find out how Next Step can help your B2B SaaS business achieve its goals, please email me, Sean, at nextstep.io. That's S-E-A-N, at N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. Thanks, and keep disrupting.